Thank you for watching NTD Business. Coming up tonight, Elon Musk visits Twitter today. What's he doing there? And how soon is he expected to close the deal? Americans think they need at least one and a quarter million dollars in order to re retire comfortably, far more than the amount last year. Why and how should you prepare? And a Saudi prince warning the U.S. not to misuse its emergency oil supply. Why? We have the details. That and much more coming up on NTD Business. Great having you with us. Don Ma here. Elon Musk is at Twitter HQ today, and he brought a sink with him. He's there ahead of the expected close of his deal to buy the company, according to Twitter. Musk tweeted a video of himself entering the office carrying a sink, writing, Entering Twitter HQ. Let that sink in. Seemingly implying that he would soon become the owner of the social media company. The video has gotten over 6 million views. Musk today also changed his Twitter bio to Chief Twit. Bloomberg earlier reported Musk is expected to close the deal by Friday. And out onto the housing market, U.S. mortgage rates have hit their highest level in over 20 years. This is according to the Mortgage Bankers Association, or MBA. Higher mortgage rates mean larger debt repayments, and not surprisingly, now fewer people are applying to buy homes. Mortgage applications as well dropped about 2% last week, according to MBA. Applications are down to their slowest pace in 25 years. Home sales as well also down. Sales of new single-family homes dropped 10.9% in September. Yet another sign that higher mortgage rates are choking the housing market. And you may have to take a look at your retirement account because... You may need at least one and a quarter million dollars in there if you want to retire comfortably in America. This is what many Americans think according to a survey by Northwestern Mutual. Americans also think the expected retirement age has risen from 62 to 64. They expect to be working longer because they have less money. And four, over four out of ten Americans simply don't think they have the money to retire. And if you feel one and a quarter million is a lot, well, you're not alone. The president of retirement genius, Chris Orestes, agrees. You would have to save $100,000 a year for 12 years. So let's say you were saving half that for, for 25 years to try and hit that number. That's a, that's a pretty big goal for the average worker when you consider the average income in the United States. And here's a key part of the story. The magic number wasn't always so high. Last year, Americans thought they would need far less, 20% less to be exact. Orestes says it's because of the current state of the economy. Seeing the number spike really is a reflection of inflation and people's economic insecurity. As we sit here right now, the stock market is down from last year around 16%. And if you had, say, 1.25 million saved, and you were looking to now live off income, you'd want to be generating, you know, a return of 7 to 10% on that money. Now, if you don't think you're going to have that much before you retire, well, don't feel concerned just yet because every financial specialist we spoke to dismissed the number as arbitrary. Everyone's situation is different. Not everyone necessarily needs that much money. 
And different financial advisors have different approaches to retirement. The chief financial analyst at Bankrate.com, Greg McBride, told us how he thinks people should calculate how much they need. The amount that you need uh, to build up uh, needs to produce an amount of money that at a 3% annual withdrawal rate is enough to meet your expenses. One and a quarter million dollars might work for some people, might not work for others. Uh, 3% withdrawal rate on a nest egg of that size produces $37,500 a year in income. The president of retirement genius Chris Orestes has yet another approach that's based on your current income. You'd want to make sure you have in the neighborhood of 70% of your peak earning income in savings and investments to generate an income that would be in that level, about 70% of your peak earnings. Because 1.25 million might be a lot of money for somebody, but it might be not even close to enough for somebody else. So you wanna tie it to your income versus an arbitrary number. Another financial advisor, Christian Mills, says that people should focus on how much they need each month as opposed to how much they need in total. But more importantly, he highly advises hiring a professional financial planner instead of doing it all yourself. It does not matter what your, you know, how much money you make or anything. They have financial planners that work with every, you know, with every person in any socioeconomic, you know, strata. Work with somebody and help them, you know, tell you what your options are, you know, especially those folks that are living paycheck to paycheck. And the majority of Americans are living paycheck to paycheck. A recent report from Lending Club found that 63% of Americans would be immediately in trouble if they lost their jobs. And this is far more than the amount last year, seven percentage points to be precise. Lending Club also blames this on high inflation. It says wages aren't keeping up with the soaring prices and that financial distress is heading towards an all-time high. And moving on, Saudi Arabia's energy minister seems to be warning the U.S. not to misuse its emergency oil supply to lower gas prices. Entities Colin Fredrickson has more on what he said. A warning from Saudi Arabia's energy minister Tuesday appeared aimed at U.S. President Joe Biden. Prince Abdulaziz bin Salman accused countries of using their emergency oil reserves to, quote, manipulate energy prices rather than helping with shortages of supply. It's everybody's choice. However, however, it is my profound duty to make it clear to the world that losing emergency stock may become painful in the months to come. His remarks come after Biden recently announced plans to sell an additional 15 million barrels from America's Strategic Petroleum Reserve. Biden's team is trying to curb high gasoline prices in the wake of production cuts from OPEC. Relations with the United States deteriorated earlier this month when the OPEC plus group of oil producers decided to cut output. Saudi Arabia is the de facto leader of the group. The decision prompted the Biden administration to warn there would be consequences for U.S. ties with Riyadh. The prince said Saudi Arabia had chosen to be, quote, the mature party when asked about how to get the energy relationship with the U.S. back on track. The remarks came at the kingdom's yearly Future Investment Initiative Forum. Despite tensions, the three-day event saw a big turnout from American executives as it kicked off on Tuesday. But no Biden administration officials were visible. Colin Fredrickson, 
NTD News. Jared Kushner, a former senior aide to then-President Donald Trump, was featured as a front-row speaker. Meanwhile, climate activists stormed the investment firm BlackRock's headquarters in New York City today, apparently protesting the company's investment in fossil fuels. It's the third day of their protests in New York City. Video shows they brought pitchforks and dumped coal on escalators. They also held banners saying, how dare you plunder the earth and your greed equals climate chaos. One protester said they want to highlight big corporations' role in driving what they call a climate crisis. Police later arrived to the scene and arrested protesters. Meanwhile, a similar scene is happening in the UK. Climate activists blasted high-end car dealers with orange paint in London. It's a group called Just Stop Oil. You may remember them from earlier where they threw tomato soup on a Van Gogh painting. They are now targeting luxury car dealers like Bentley and Ferrari as part of a month-long protest. You can see a worker here cleaning the window afterwards. A passing member of the public confronted a protester who has been detained by the police. You're not helping doing anything. You're just throwing paint on a building. I don't see how that's helping people not eat. How about instead of spending money on paint, buying some food for someone? We do contribute to food banks, but that's not solving the problem. We need systematic change. But how is throwing paint on, a, on a someone's building who's working hard to sell something? The new UK Prime Minister Rishi Sunak will continue to ban fracking, reversing an earlier decision by his predecessor Liz Truss. In Parliament today, Sunak was asked about fracking, and he said he'll stand by a 2019 manifesto commitment on the issue. Look, when it comes to energy policy, I stick by what we said uh, in our manifesto, Mr. Speaker. The important thing is, though, to focus on our long-term energy security. That means more renewables, more offshore wind, and indeed more nuclear. The manifesto he was referring to said they would not support fracking unless science shows it can be done safely. Environmental groups have raised concerns about triggering earthquakes with fracking. Just last month, former UK Prime Minister Liz Truss lifted the fracking ban, saying the country should focus on securing its own energy supply. And the energy crisis is hitting Europe's industries hard. The world's largest chemical group by revenue BASF is downsizing permanently. The company makes products ranging from basic petrochemicals to fertilizers. And its chief executive said that the European gas crisis and strict EU regulations were forcing the company to cut costs, quote, as quickly as possible, also permanently. The European chemical market has been growing very slowly for about a decade, but the price of natural gas has increased significantly. The company announced two weeks ago that it would reduce costs by over a billion dollars over the next two years. And on to Wall Street, stocks ended mixed today. The Dow rose two points. S&P 500 ended its three-day winning streak, losing 29 points, or 7 tenths of a percent. Of the Nasdaq, fell 228 points, or 2 percent. And Google revenues have declined, and sales growth at the firm has slowed for five consecutive quarters. NTD's Char Marshall has more on what's happening at the tech giant. Profits at Google parent company Alphabet Incorporated went down nearly 30 percent to $13.9 billion in the last quarter. YouTube ad revenues declined for the first time since the firm started to report them publicly. Lowered ad revenue could be showing us the effects of inflation with less revenue available to businesses. I spoke with Capture CEO Bob Bilbrook to find out what Google is doing wrong and what areas they could improve in. I think their business model is a little bit antiquated now and I think they're kind of stuck with that antiquated model 
because of the um, indirect search paradigm that they play in, right? Billberg mentioned something that's probably happened to most of us. You search for an AMC movie theater and you get five different ads before you get the information you're actually looking for. I think the web three paradigm is really going to be a shift for them, and I'm not sure if they're prepared to address uh, Web3 completely. It'd be naive for me to think that, but, you know, they seem to be stuck kind of in this Web 2.0 world, which is indirect search versus Web 3, which is direct search and more peer-to-peer -peer data, you know, coming across and being used by different people. In Alphabet's recent earnings call, CEO Sundar Pachai went over the firm's future objectives. Times like this are clarifying. As we head into 2023, we are going to focus on our most important priorities as a company. To support our growth, we'll continue to invest responsibly for the long term in a way that is responsive to the current economic environment. So what is Google doing right? Where does their future look bright? Uh, you know, Google has their fingers on a lot of different pies. One of the um, things that I know they're working on is, um, you know, autonomous vehicles you know, and, and some of the delivery stuff around those areas. So I think some of that stuff is where they see emerging markets away from the uh, verticals that they may be, you know, squarely in and what we would call search marketing. After reporting earnings and revenue that missed expectations, Alphabet said on Tuesday that it would slow hiring and control expenses, preparing for hurdles the economy might bring. Sean Marshall, NTD News. And Alphabet stock is down 9% today. South Korea's SK Hynix, the world's second largest memory chip maker, is cutting investment in half next year. It says today there's a, quote, unprecedented deterioration in memory chip demand. Chip makers had enjoyed a strong post-pandemic demand surge until earlier this year. Because of soaring inflation, rising interest rates, and a gloomy economic outlook, consumers and businesses are tightening spending. The company said memory chip prices plunged by 20% as demand fell in the third quarter. SK Hynix said its operating profit fell over a billion dollars in the July to September period compared to last year. Other chip makers are also adjusting to falling demand. U.S. firm Micron Technology plans to cut investment by more than 30% next year. A Chinese military-linked company has spent over $2.4 million this year lobbying in the U.S., that's according to data from watchdog group Open Secrets. Chinese telecom giant Huawei gave hundreds of thousands of dollars to a number of American companies to lobby against key U.S. policies. Huawei has lobbied against bills like the United States Innovation and Competition Act and the Lift America Act. And according to Federal Election Commission records and lobbying disclosures reviewed by NTD, members of Congress have been accepting money from Huawei lobbyists as well. This is despite the fact that Huawei is considered a national security risk by the U.S. It has put Huawei on a trade blacklist, and the Defense Department has said that Huawei has ties to the Chinese military. Firms that Huawei has hired include Ohio-based law firm Square Patent Boggs and Illinois-based law firm Sidley Austin. Though Huawei's lobbying efforts have been decreasing, total money spent on lobbying is down $1 million per year. And if you have any news tips or feedback for the show, you can email us at business at ntd.com. Still to come after the break, with just two weeks left to the midterm elections, we break down critical races for a governor across the country. A common antibiotic for children is in short supply. What's the U.S. doing about it? 
that and more coming up on NTD Business. Welcome back. With the November 8th elections rapidly approaching, we'll take a look at 10 key battles for governor. NTD's Daniel Monahan has more. Events of the past two years have highlighted the power of governors who have played decisive roles in dealing with the COVID-19 pandemic. Meanwhile, new clashes over the future of abortion access have materialized. The first matchup we'll be examining is in Arizona, Katie Hobbs versus Carrie Lake. Lake is a former TV news anchor. The Trump-endorsed candidate has questioned the efficacy of COVID-19 vaccines. She is focused on the economy and border control, and she's against abortion. Katie Hobbs is a social worker who has served as Secretary of State of Arizona since January 2019. She has focused her campaign on ensuring abortion access. Now, on to Kansas and the battle between Democrat Laura Kelly and Derek Schmidt. Governor Kelly has focused her campaign on education, health care, and the economy. Schmidt has been the Kansas Attorney General since 2011. He's defended the state's laws against same-sex marriages and opposed efforts to decriminalize marijuana. In Nevada, it's Democratic Governor Steve Sisolak versus Joe Lombardo. Governor Sisolak faces some of the nation's highest inflation rates. The tourism-reliant state was hit hard by pandemic-era closures. Trump-endorsed Clark County Sheriff Joe Lombardo has focused on kitchen table issues, including education and the expansion of school choice. In Oregon, there's a three-way battle. Democrat Tina Kotek started out as the favorite. She played a role in raising the minimum wage in her state. But independent candidate Betsy Johnson has proven to be a formidable contender who Democrats fear could act as a spoiler in the race. She is a gun rights activist who relishes being attacked by both the woke left and the radical right. She has blamed liberal Democratic policies for trash-lined streets and tent cities. Johnson's candidacy has created a path to victory for Republican Christine Drazen. Drazen opposed a COVID-19 vaccination mandate. She is also against transgender athletes participating in gender-specific events. And in Wisconsin, Democratic Governor Tony Evers takes on Republican challenger and businessman Tim Michaels. Evers has focused on abortion access, while Michaels has focused on crime and inflation. Republicans are blaming Evers for a 70% increase in homicides in Wisconsin from 2019 to 2021. And now on to Michigan and Democratic Governor Gretchen Whitmer versus Republican challenger Tudor Dixon. Whitmer has made her support for abortion access the centerpiece of her bid for a second term. Dixon is a conservative commentator who has proposed a measure that would ban transgender athletes from competing in gender-specific competitions, and also a measure that bans discussion of gender and sexuality issues with younger students in classrooms. Let's have a look at New Mexico. There, it's Democratic Governor Michelle Lujan Grisham against Republican television meteorologist Mark Ronchetti. Ronchetti has focused on crime and school lockdowns during the pandemic. Lujan Grisham has cast herself as someone who has tried to make tough decisions while poking fun at her opponent's lack of political experience. Next up, Pennsylvania with Democratic State Attorney General John Shapiro against Republican State Senator Doug Mastriano. 
A new AARP Pennsylvania poll shows Shapiro up by about nine points. Mastriano is a conservative who led a GOP challenge to the 2020 presidential results in Pennsylvania. Abortion access up to 24 weeks into a pregnancy is currently legal in Pennsylvania. Shapiro has vowed to uphold that. Georgia is represented by Republican Governor Brian Kemp versus Democratic challenger Stacey Abrams in a rematch of their showdown four years ago. Kemp drew Trump's ire in 2020 when he rebuffed his efforts to find more votes in the state. Kemp is a conservative who supported a far-reaching new elections overhaul and a six-week abortion ban that went into effect with the overturning of Roe v. Wade. Abrams is attempting to draw attention to the governor's restricting of abortion and opposing Medicaid expansion. Last up, Florida, where Governor Ron DeSantis faces off against Democratic Congressman Charlie Crist. DeSantis rose to stardom for his resistance against COVID lockdowns, masks in schools, vaccine requirements, and his parental rights legislation. That bans instruction on sexual orientation and gender identity to young children in schools. Christ is a former Democrat who left the Republican Party in 2010. He vows to fight for LGBT Floridians and to repeal the new DeSantis legislation. He's an advocate of marijuana legalization. Daniel Monahan, NTD News. A drug commonly used to treat bacterial infections in children is in short supply. Three of the top four makers of the antibiotic amoxicillin are reporting supply constraints in the U.S., Amoxicillin is prescribed for many illnesses, including ear and throat infections. It comes in several forms. Children generally take the liquid form of the drug, which is reportedly where most of the shortages are occurring. The U.S. Food and Drug Administration says it's working with pharmaceutical companies to fix the problem. Affordable Care Act health insurance policies will be more costly in 2023. The average monthly premium for the silver plan in 2023 will go up by 4% next year. That's compared to this year's drop of 3%. Despite the bump for 2023, most enrollees won't feel the increase thanks to federal subsidies. Consumers will be able to start comparing Affordable Care Act plans today. Open enrollment launches November 1st and runs through January 15th. The increase in Obamacare premiums for next year follows the trend of price hikes in employer-sponsored coverage. Experts say most workers can expect to see premiums and out-of-pocket costs increase at a faster rate in recent years due to inflation. And Kia is telling owners of nearly 72,000 older Sportage SUVs in the U.S. to be vigilant after the firm received reports of more engine fires. It's the second time that 2008 and 2009 Sportages have been recalled due to fire risks. The fires can start while the engines are running or when they're turned off. The Korean automaker says it has reports of eight fires and 15 cases of melting or other damage since April 2017. No injuries were reported, though. The company says owners should park outside and away from structures and other vehicles until it figures out the cause of the fires. The Washington Post reports Halloween treats are getting smaller due to shrinkflation. Shrinkflation is when manufacturers reduce the size of their products instead of increasing the price. The Post listed some examples of smaller sizes. For example, a bag of dark chocolate Hershey's Kisses has shrunk by a couple of ounces. And a two-pack of Reese's Peanut Butter Cups is a tenth of an ounce lighter. And Cadbury's Milk Chocolate Bars are about 10% lighter than they were before. The Post reports while candy sizes and packages are shrinking, overall candy prices are not. 
And that's all from the NTD business team and myself, Don Ma. You can follow me on Twitter too. If you have any news tips or feedback for the show, you can email us at business at NTD.com. That's all for today. Thank you for watching. We'll see you tomorrow.